I am really excited today. Uh, we have something that we've never had before. We actually got a letter from the Apostle Paul. I haven't even had a chance to open it uh, yet. I'm just digging in this for a minute. Uh, to the Christians uh, at Orchard Hill Church. Uh, oh, listen to this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine what it would have been like for those first century Christians, like in the city of Philippi, which is where we're, what we're looking at today? I mean, they didn't, even the Jewish Christians probably didn't have copies of the Old Testament. There was no New Testament yet. The uh, accounts of Jesus' life were just beginning to be written down. And so the, the early Christians were kind of on their own. And so to get a letter from somebody who understood Christianity so well, someone like the Apostle Paul, would have been a huge thing for them. And I hope we can understand that as we're looking at these letters that Paul wrote uh, to Christian churches today. We're looking at this passage which is sound, found in the, uh, in the second chapter of the book of Philippians. So I'm excited about that because I feel really deeply about what's contained in this passage. And one other thing, if you have your bulletin, you notice I have sort of three points in my teaching. And get this, they all start with the letter H. All, for 30 years I've been trying to do that. Same letter for every point. My wife Sally grew up in a, in a church where the pastor, every week, all his points started with the same letter. And it, the game was, after he told you the first point, then you try to guess what the others were. We were there actually one, one Sunday when his points all started with the letter Q. The letter Q. I remember quietude was the first one. I don't remember the second. The third one was quintessence. I haven't reached that level yet, but... Three with the letter H. I think that's uh, kind of significant. What is it that Paul would have wanted to communicate to those first century Christians? I mean, what was the most basic, important thing that they could understand? Now, Paul talked about a lot of different issues in these letters that he wrote to them. But I think he probably understood that the most important thing was for them to have a right view of Jesus, to understand who Jesus was and what he did. And so this passage that we just read from Philippians chapter 2 is one of those amazing places where Paul gives this incredible description of what Jesus has done. And so we're going to take a few minutes to look at this and see if our understanding also of Jesus, of who he is and what he did, can also become clearer and, and dearer to us. The concept that we're talking about here is called incarnation, the incarnation. And that's a Greek word that means in flesh, like carnal means flesh. So what we're saying is that God, who is spirit, became flesh. He was in flesh. That the God 
Jesus became Jesus the man in flesh. Now, I think for most of us, we say, well, yeah, that's, that's neat. I want to push us harder on that. I want us to try to grasp in a deeper way the huge step that the Son of God took when He became a human being. I mean, to us, it doesn't seem like such a big deal, right? I mean, we're humans. It's not so bad. It's better than some things we could think of, right? So here is God, though, becoming a human being. How big a step was that? Well, it was huge. It was huge. No, it's huge starts with the letter H, first point. So to do that, I think what do we need to do to begin with is to understand a little more about what it was like for Jesus before the incarnation, before he became a human being. Now, we believe that Jesus is God, that he is that part of God that we call God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as such, that everything that we believe about God, we believe about Jesus. We believe about the Son of God. He is all-powerful, and He is everywhere, and He is glorious and majestic and huge and holy and all these incredible things that we don't even understand entirely. We say them about God, and then we need to say, and they were true of the Son of God as well. They were true of Jesus. And so Paul is saying here that Jesus didn't feel like being God was something he had to hang on to tightly. What was it like for him as God? Well, one of the things that helps me anyway is I think about God as a creator. And when I look at creation, it sort of expands my, my mental picture of what God is like. And then it helps me to say, and that's what Jesus was like. So I actually brought along a few pictures from creation for us to look at today. Let's take a look at this first one. You know, when the Hubble telescope went out, one of the first things they did was they wanted to focus on what they called deep space. I mean, things really, 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 really far away. So for a long time, they focused on just a little area of the sky. They said it's about the size of a dime if you held it out at arm's length. So just this little thing, and they're focusing on that. And this is a picture for a part of this. Uh, And those are galaxies there, like our Milky Way galaxy. The amazing thing about this is that they are seeing so far that these are about 13 billion light years away. So that means the light from those galaxies has been traveling toward us for 13 billion years. And we know light travels at the speed of about 6 trillion miles um, in a year. Let's look at the next picture. This is... um, a gas cloud, and it's a place where stars are being born. So the gas begins to come together and coalesce and and form into what's going to become stars. And one of the things, the reason I chose that is just to give you an idea of the size. So this, this gaseous cloud is about 200 light years wide. Remember, a light year is 6 trillion miles So you go 6 trillion miles for 200 years. That's about how wide it is and about 150 light years high. Amazing. One more I brought. This is the picture of looking down at a galaxy like like the Milky Way galaxy that we're in. And this was one of the first galaxies that they looked at where they discovered what they had suspected, that right in the very middle of it is a black hole. And it's the, the gravity from that black hole that sort of holds it all together and keeps it spinning. And that black hole, they estimate, the mass of that black hole is about 
a million times the mass of our sun. Who made those stars? Jesus did. Who created the universe? Jesus did. In fact, when the disciple John begins to tell us about the the story of Jesus' life, he begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We're saying that, that Jesus, the expression of God, is God. He is God, and and the all things were created through him, John says, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, before his incarnation as God, was king of the angels and the namer of the stars and the creator of the universe. And he was glorious and he was worshipped and he was in this incredible relationship of love with God the Father and God the Son. And for that being to step down and become a human being was huge, was huge. In fact, there's no way that we can find a comparison for us to, to talk about today. I was trying to think of what it would be like for us in comparison. I was thinking about slugs. You know what a slug is? They're like, they're like a big, ugly worm, sort of. My sister uh, lives in Seattle, and she used to be a, uh, an elementary music teacher. And in her school, the kids had to go outside to come into the, to the music room. And there were, she said there were times of the year when the slugs would be everywhere and it would be so slimy that when the kids came into her room, they had this special mat so they could wipe the slug guts off their feet, you know, before they would come into the room. So for us to think, what if you became a slug? I mean, how degrading, how terrible would that be? What a step down. It would. And for us, a human being to become a slug is like this, this step here, you know. And for the eternal Son of God to become a human being is like this big? No. Like this big? No. Like infinitely big. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God became a human being. And so this first step in the process is God becoming a human being. So if I think about it for myself, I think, well, it, all right, if I'm going to leave heaven, if I'm going to give up all this stuff, because it says that when Jesus did this, it made him, he made himself nothing. It literally says he emptied himself. So he had to give up some of the God stuff in order to become a human being, right? He couldn't be everywhere now. He was going to be limited to a, to a body. He gave up the, the worship and the glory and the things that marked him as, as God. In fact, I just love the scene in the Gospels where Jesus goes up on a mountain and it's like he's, he's saying sort of, I just can't hold this in any longer. So Peter, James, and John, cover your eyes. And the glory, you know, that he had as God just sort of spills out for a moment. It was more than they could handle. So if it were going to be me and I'm going to give up all this stuff in heaven and become a human being, I at least want to make it the best thing I can. So I would come as the richest most powerful, strong, attractive, influential person in the world. I'd come as sort of a combination of Albert Einstein and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Brad Pitt and Donald Trump and, you know, all of these rolled into one. But it says, no, when Jesus came, not only did he take that step down to become human, but the human he became was like a servant. He was born to poor people. 
You know, one of the ways we know that, when Jesus was eight days old, his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, took him to the temple. And and that was something that was done in order to sort of give this child, dedicate the child to the Lord. And as a part of the the ceremonial cleansing of, of the mother after giving birth. And the Bible says that when you do that, you're supposed to bring a lamb for a sacrifice. Unless you're really poor and can't afford a lamb, in which case you would just bring two turtle doves. What did Jesus bring? What did Jesus' parents bring? Two turtle doves. They were poor people. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Lord of the universe, not only became a human being, but he became the lowest of human beings. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, chose to be born into this. And he chose to do it at a time, I look at that, I would say, at least, at least let me be born, you know, come to earth at a time when things are comfortable, right? I mean, Jesus came when there were, there was no Excedrin PM, no toilet paper, no, no artificial knee joints, you know, stuff goes wrong and you just live with it or die from it. But he comes at this terrible time to these poor people who are oppressed by the Romans and he's, comes in this lowly state. In fact, Paul in this passage, you know, said he, he took on the form of a servant. That, that word is, is the same word for slave, you know. What kind of rights, what kind of privileges does a slave have? Well, in the Roman Empire, they had virtually no rights. Estimated to be about 10 million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time that Jesus came. And he came as a servant in fact, all the way through his life, he just kept saying and showing, you know, I didn't come for you guys to serve me. I came to serve you. And so at the very end of his life, remember, he gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his friends, the disciples that night. So Jesus leaves heaven and he comes to earth, not just as human being, but he takes that next step of becoming the lowest of human beings being found as a servant, as a slave. And not only that, he took that final step, one step lower, of coming with the purpose of dying the most horrible death imaginable. I mean, all of us know when we are born, we are going to die. Jesus chose to be born so that he could die. And he came at a time when the way he was going to die was execution by crucifixion. The most painful, degrading kind of death that anybody could experience. You've read about it. You know what it was like. First, he was beaten. He was beaten so severely he could have died from that. And then they took him outside the city and they threw him down on the ground and they put nail spikes through his hands and his feet and they nailed him to a cross and they raised him up naked before the world. And the people that he'd come to save, the people he was dying for, laughed at him and mocked him. This probably falls into the category of more information about your pastor than you would really like to have. But about 20 years ago, I, my migraines at that point were really, really bad, and I was sort of living on extra strength, etc., and it had kind of eaten away at my stomach. So I had some, a lot of internal bleeding going on 
um, that I was not aware of until uh, one day I passed out. I went into shock. I had to go to the hospital. So I'm in the hospital, and um, so I've got all this blood in me mixed with all the other stuff in me. I'm going to try to be delicate about this. So I'm lying in this hospital bed, and it's got to come out. And and I begged him, please let me just go to the bathroom. And I was so weak from loss of blood, I couldn't even raise my head. I could not raise my head even. I couldn't use a bedpan. And so it just it just all came out. And it was the most disgusting, vile, smelly, putrid mess I could possibly imagine. So I'm lying on this hospital bed. Uh, naked, just as as soiled and dirty as a person could possibly be, and and I literally did not feel like a human being. I prayed at that moment that God would let me die. Please, just let me die. And let me just say too, by the way, then a nurse came in to clean me up, who, who was so loving and. Well, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I read about Jesus then. Jesus was hung naked on a cross. And they say that when a man was crucified very often, they lost control of their bowels. And so here is this king of the universe, you know, Lord of the angels, God of creation, hanging naked and soiled, as people laughed at him. That's the kind of love I just can't, uh, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. So Paul wanted the Philippian Christians to understand that. You understand that he was God. He became a human being like a servant and he did it so that he could die on the cross in your place. And it had to be that kind of Ultimately terrible kind of death because my sin is so dirty and defiling that it had to be something huge to take the place of my sin and your sin. But then Paul says, but that's not the end of the story. It says, you know, therefore, in light of all that we've just been talking about, God has exalted him to the highest place, has given him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And someday, this one who hung naked on the cross is going to come again in glory. And whether they like it or not, I believe that every human being who has ever lived is going to be forced to acknowledge that he is God, that he is Lord. And every knee will bow before him and every tongue Buddhist and, and Muslim and atheist, you know, will be forced to confess and acknowledge that he is Lord, that Jesus has a name that is above every other name. And they will bow their knee before him when he comes again in his glory as he deserves. And you can't do it right now where you are, but on your behalf, I bow before him and I confess him as Lord. 
Some people suggest that this passage of scripture that we looked at was actually written as a song, sort of as a poem. And I think about some of the songs, you know, written about Jesus today, that simple chorus, He is Lord. Remember that? Sing it with me, would you? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every knee. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord Jesus, we are bowing before you now in our hearts. We are thanking you for who you are as God, the creator, the maker of the universe in glory and splendor and majesty. And we are thanking you that you not only became a human being, you came came as a slave, as a servant, and you gave your life in this terrible way on the cross for our sins. Thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that you are coming again in power and might and glory. And we will join with the with the multitudes throughout the ages in bowing before you and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We praise and we worship you now. Amen.